0: Hey everybody, this is the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com, welcoming you to another segment of True Faith Real Talk. Now today's topic of discussion is going to be battle ready. Are you ready for each of the battles that we face physically, mentally, spiritually? Well, wow. My guest today is going to help us uh, understand that uh, readiness, if you will, and uh, talk to us about his ministry, about his calling to help people uh, with that engagement in the spiritual warfare that we face, uh, to help really ignite the fire in uh, the hearts of the faithful and maybe those who don't know God in this world. Uh, my guest is somebody you may know. Um, as uh, he is the founder of Radix uh, and actually Battle Ready, which is an initiative of Radix. You may have known him uh, primarily through his one-man drama of The Passion. Perhaps you may have known him the many years that he's co-hosted Life on the Rock on EWTN and now is the host of Battle Ready. I want to welcome to uh, this show, Mr. Doug Berry. How you doing, brother?
1: hey john good how are you
0: man i'm doing well i'm doing well well thank you again awesome. for joining us on uh, this segment of true faith real talk uh you know i really yeah. wanted to kind of under, uh, understand or at least help my my viewers understand um your mission in life because when, when i read through what you're doing with battle ready i've seen uh your videos and i know you've got a big following on youtube as well um you know we, uh, your apostolate and my apostolate world of blaze incorporated kind of uh, have that same fervor, zeal, that same fire to light a fire, right? So I know on your on your website, for instance, you have Luke 1249, which is, a, is definitely one of the scriptures uh, when we talk about my own Catholic apostolate with, you know, I came to set the earth on fire and how I wish it was already blazing, right? Um, yeah, so, so why don't you, uh, you know, just explain for the, the viewers your, at least a little bit of the background with you and what you're doing today and, um, you know, that transition that you've gone through from, you know, leaving EW10 to—I mean, obviously you're back on EW10 with your own show—but really taking right. battle-ready, strong to uh, to 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 heart with your own personal postulate.
1: Yeah, you know, um, you know, I—I'll just start by saying I grew up like a lot of Catholics out there. Uh, refer to myself as the clock-in, clock-out Catholic. You know, you walk into church, you put your hand in the holy water font, you clock in. You walk out after mass, and you clock out. And, and that, that's where I was, that's where a lot of people are. A lot of people just kind of go through the motions. We, you know, We're Catholic because we grew up Catholic. We, we, we were told to do these things. And a lot of people have never really been challenged to really own the faith, really make it something that, that's intrinsic, that's within them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I grew up with this. Uh, right around 20 years old, roughly, I hear about these apparitions, <laughs> I never heard much about that, of the Blessed Mother, Uh, appearing in in Medjugorje. Now, I talked to my aunt, who was the one that introduced me to this, and she said, now the church has not approved Medjugorje, so be very careful about that, but the messages are serious, and she has said the same thing, if this is true, but she has said these same messages have come from her in other places that are approved by the church. I said, well, like where? And she mentioned Fatima. Fatima, Portugal, 1917. So I went home and dug out a book that my mom gave me on, on the Blessed Mother appearing to Jacinta, Francisco, and Lucia and Fatima, and it really blew me away. And it made me realize right there, you know, I got to make some changes because I'm kind of going through the motions of my faith. I'm not taking this seriously, especially when the Blessed Mother on July uh, 13th, 1917, showed the children the vision of hell. And that woke me up. Mm-hmm. And she also talked to the children mm-hmm. about the prophecy of a second world war, which happened. All right, and so I'm putting these things together and you don't gotta be a rocket scientist to figure this out. You got this miraculous event, prophecy of war, the war happens. Uh, this is an incredible thing. So I start to look at my faith differently. I began to pray differently. I began to go to confession more regularly. Uh, I eventually, I, I met this wonderful young lady. I was dating her at the time. Uh, she was also a big, big help to me at that point because she was kind of holding my feet to the fire to be a better person, better man. Um, we going up getting married, finally, married 28 years now. Um, blessed to have seven children, uh, two miscarriages, so two children with our Lord. But that was the beginning of really turning my life around. So when we get married, we start this ministry, Radix. Radix is a Latin word that means root. It means get to the, ra- the root of something, to be radical. Radical is a word that comes from Radix. And so this is really what gets the ball rolling. I start this ministry work, my wife and I, working with young people primarily. And that's been 28 years we've been doing this work. Very blessed to travel all over the country, outside the country, in fact, uh, other places in the world. Um, about twenty some years ago, was asked to be on Life, uh, excuse me, on EWTN for a, a different show, a couple different shows. Eventually, I was asked to be on Life on the Rock. I had uh, three appearances on Life on the Rock, and then about ten years ago, they contacted me and said, "Would you be interested in co-hosting Life on the Rock?" I said, "Yeah, that'd be great." So I went down to the network, we gave it a shot, they liked the chemistry with me and Father Mark, Uh, seemed to go well, so we co-hosted the show for eight years, and in the midst of doing that show, me and my wife and my family, some of my kids here, I have four sons, a particular daughter, and we worked together to form this effort called Battle Ready. And The idea behind Battle Ready was to talk more about the reality of the spiritual battle, but also look at the signs of our times and see what's happening in our world, and really Really respond to that, and so we started. Uh, I just wrote emails about this, and I'd send them out to people. Eventually, I was asked to speak in a church on Battle Ready, and then another church, and another church, and then I started to do what I call Battle Ready rallies, mm-hmm. and I've done them all over the country now, you know, dozens and dozens of them. Um, you know, go into some areas and do a tour of Battle Ready rallies, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine nights in a row, and the idea again was to talk to the layperson about spiritual battle. And not just exorcisms and possessions and that sort of thing, but just the fact that our marriages are, ter- are, are torn apart, 50 to 60% end in divorce. We've got abortion like crazy. We've got contraception usage, which almost nobody talks about anymore. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of people leaving the church. I mean, at the time we record this, I know we just had Easter, we just had a lot of people come into the church and that's exciting. But the statistics are that for everyone that joins the church, there are six or seven people that leave the Catholic faith. Yep. So it's not as if we're really gaining a lot of ground in this battle. So the idea behind Battle Ready was to wake up that fighting spirit. And the goal really was predominantly to do it in men. But very quickly, we found that a lot of women were buying into this and accepting and understanding the reality of the spiritual fight, and a lot of women now, in fact, when I do Battle Ready rallies in churches, I'd say 60% 60 to 70% of the people that come are women. Mm-hmm. So women respond to the Battle Ready message. But but it's not just spiritual, John. The idea behind Battle Ready is to be ready, body, mind, and soul. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer, especially in the necessity of us men being physically prepared to protect and defend. Mm-hmm. Just as if a bad guy breaks in your house, you got to protect your family. Well, you got to have some idea what you're going to do. So spiritually, we need to be ready. Physically, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for whatever battle God allows to come our way. Mm-hmm. And the times, as you know... Man, they're getting serious, and if we're not seeing this spiritually and physically to be ready for what's happening in our country and in our world, we are—we've got our head buried in a pretty deep sandbox.
0: Yeah, no, and it sounds great. Thank you for sharing kind of that journey, and uh, for you and, and the work that you do with your family. What a blessing uh, I imagine it is to uh, have an apostle that you can share as a family that is yeah. help, helping rebuild families and, and form families and strengthen families. So, Doug, in your work today, um, as you travel uh, you know, internationally and, and you're encountering, uh, I imagine, uh, all walks of life, uh, all different phases of the faith journey, what do, you, what do you see out there as some of the biggest challenges um, in, the, in this spiritual battle, uh, whether that be um, mind, body, or soul?
1: First thing that comes to my mind, with a lot of the people that I meet, one or two things. One, a lot of people have just taken this so lightly, so carefree, we've kind of come to this, this thought process that as long as we're decent people, and mm-hmm. decent is defined by your own personal interpretation. If you're a decent person, when you die, you're gonna to go to heaven. You simply trickle into heaven. Everybody pretty much is okay. As long as we're not really, really, really bad. The other part of the problem I see is people who've become so spiritual that they've decided to trust Jesus in everything, which is good, don't get me wrong, but to the point that they don't feel like they need to do anything Mm -hmm. to be prepared, okay? And what I mean by that is you know, we wake up in the morning, we go to work. We know we have to do that. Well, I, I don't expect to wake up in the morning, open the refrigerator and have food in the fridge. It's got to get there somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, God's going to provide, but he wants me to do my part. I got to work. I got to go to the store. I actually have to walk into the store, you know, buy the food, come home, put it in the fridge, you know, cook it. I, I've got to do this. This is part of the equation. But when it comes to being prepared to handle, say, a physical crisis, or when it comes to handling, you know, a natural disaster or a terrorist attack, Many people just sit back and say, well, we're just going to trust Jesus. So I see both sides, the people who have taken it so lightheartedly, doesn't matter what you do, we're all good. And the people over here who become so spiritual that they've detached from actually thinking that they need to do anything to be prepared, even though the signs of the times are pretty darn serious right now. So that's the biggest problem I see, I guess, would be those two things right there. Yeah, what's interesting in
0: both of those examples, Doug, they're both a very passive way of approaching life and faith yeah right that that hey yeah. I'll, I'll just hey we don't really have to do much as long as uh, I avoid being really really bad all is good right. I, I can just kind of just kind of stroll on into heaven and then the other example you gave were uh, there's this uh, what would be probably a false understanding of trust um, well I'm just gonna trust everything and not feel like I have any stake in the game right that sure. I have any effort um, and, and the redemption uh, aspect, right, of, of our Lord's suffering here on earth, and for us to help other souls encounter Christ. So, battle ready. Uh, you know, I love the uh, the the theme, the approach, the the effort that you're putting forth. Now, let's let's start with the men first. I know you sure. you're, you're catering to all because I think this is something both near and dear to our hearts. Um, I know for myself uh, and people who do know my walk. Uh, has been a very crooked walk, but I come from, um, you know, a living away from the church for a long time, uh, and because of failed male leadership in my life, um, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of uh, affected and impacted my ability to really understand what it means to be a true Catholic man, right, to be a, a, a biblical man. Um, so right. what has your work been with specifically on the, on the male part? We'll get to the women and to the youth, but when it comes to men, What what do you have to say to our men out there when it comes to being battle ready and the role that we have to play? Because a big part of what you're explaining, the issues we're we're experiencing is because men really have abdicated their responsibility as the spiritual leaders in their home, as as the chief servants, as the chief protectors, as the chief uh, defenders of the family and all of creation. So what do you you have to say to, to the men who are watching now when it comes to being battle ready in our role as men?
1: Right, right. Um, that's 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 one of my, I guess, one of my most um, passionate areas of getting this work done. Because if we're going to turn the tide of anything, and when I say turn the tide, I am not one of these people that believes we're going to see some utopia come into our in, into our world in our in our time period. Now, I listen to you know the words of our Lord speaking through Saint Faustina. Those who do not go through my door of, of mercy will go through my door of justice. Or or even the words of of Pope uh, St. John Paul II, who said in 1976, when he was speaking as Cardinal Watia to the bishops in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. we've entered a final conflict between good and evil. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're in the thick of this final conflict between good and evil, between the church and the anti-church, the gospel and the anti-gospel. And he says, God has called us to take this up with, with courage. He's also talked about the fact that we've got chastisement of some sort coming our way, And while we can't eliminate it, we can alleviate or mitigate it with our response. So in other words, we've been told that we're we're in the thick of the battle right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not one of these who believes that we're going to have some utopia come down. So when I say turn the tide, I don't mean we're going to fix everything. I'm talking about family by family, soul by soul, individuals. We've got to get after as many as possible. So what I say to men is this, you know, you've been given a... A platoon, if you want to call it that, a family. All right. If you're a priest or a bishop, you've got a whole parish or a diocese, you know, that you're in charge of. But if you're a husband or father, you've got a platoon. These are your soldiers that God has entrusted to you. You've got to serve them, you've got to train them, you've got to work with them, body, mind, and soul. You've got to help them understand accountability and discipline and mercy. You know, the father's in a position. He's the domestic, in the domestic church, he's Christ. He's the head of the domestic church. He's the one that's been given that role to lay his life down, but also be that chief defender, as you said, Mm -hmm. and this is something that is natural. It's innate within us. So I like to say this to men, look, it's built within us predominantly, primarily, it's there. If you're a good man, if you're a decent man at all, even if you're not a really spiritual man, but you're a decent man, and you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a building on fire and people are screaming for help, a decent man's gonna run over there and try to do something, right? If it's someone that you love, though your loved ones in particular, wife, children, you know, and so forth, family, friends, you're really going to throw yourself into this. Right? It's, it, it drives us. So again, even if you're a decent man, that that love's going to make you want to do something on a natural level. We would understand that. Mm-hmm. So a couple things there. Number one, make the relation to the spiritual, because spiritually we be, we need to be the same way. Men, we need to be the ones that understand that if my loved one or anybody in general is in, in trouble, I should wanna spiritually help them, but especially my loved ones. I need to recognize the spiritual attacks that are coming. They're obvious, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, we see pride, greed, envy, lust, jealousy, gluttony, sloth, you name it, all the seven deadly sins and more are out there. Okay, this is something we all battle daily. On the natural level, back to that for a moment, if I, if I know that I'm supposed to protect, that means I have to have an idea of how to protect. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of talks with men in, in parish mission stuff. I do a lot of, a lot of men's retreats, a lot of, uh, a lot of conferences, men's conferences around the country. And one of the questions I ask is, okay, man, how many of you would, would fight for your family? Oh, yeah, I'd fight for my family. Oh, that's great. Who, who would die for your family? Oh, yeah, I'd die for my family. But the goal is to not die. Okay, I mean if a bad guy breaks in my house or a couple bad guys break in my house, I would fight for my family. You bet. I'll go through a wall for them, mm-hmm. all right, and I would die mm-hmm. for them. But if I die, then my family's exposed. Now they're in trouble because I'm no longer in the fight. So the best thing is that I have the desire to be and the will it, to fight for them, but I have the skill, I have the ability, the understanding, the capability to do it. All right, which means I have to have the responsibility to train myself mm-hmm. to learn how to fight. Learn how to either hand-to-hand combat or firearms, pepper spray, baseball bat, whatever it is. I have to have an idea on what I'm going to do, how I'm going to be able to do it. Same idea spiritually. Gentlemen, we have to be not only aware of the reality of the attacks that come at our loved ones, but we have to have the training and the ability to know how to respond. I need to know the power of the rosary. I need to know the power of holy water. The brown scapular, the power of the sacrament of confession, holy Eucharist, calling on the Blessed Mother's Intercession, you know, patron saints, uh, you know, guardian angels, you name it. These are things that are part of the spiritual battle. Now, that being said, both scenarios, natural, spiritual, most of us are never gonna have a home invasion. Most of us will never have somebody mug us in a parking lot. Heaven forbid that would ever happen. But if it does, we should be ready. And we would understand that makes sense. Most of us are never going to have a fire in our homes, but we have smoke detectors and hopefully a fire extinguisher or two or three in your home, just in case. Mm-hmm. And you've taught your kids, your family, how to get out. If not, we need to be doing that. Mm-hmm. But all of us have spiritual attacks. All of us have the threat of spiritual fire, if you will. Every day of our lives, we have to, again, wrestle with pride envy, greed, selfishness in general. All these things are always present. Sometimes they're stronger depending upon chapter of our life or our decisions and what we're doing to set ourselves up for the for the fall. I mean, we, we try to sniff out with unhealthy curiosity our own problems a lot of times, you know, mm-hmm. but we need to be training ourselves, men, physically and spiritually to handle whatever threat may come our way so that we can fight to the best of our ability for our loved ones. Mm -hmm. And I would say this too, John, as men. Now we've never met personally, it's the first time we've met I think even through Skype here, Mm -hmm. but if we're Mm -hmm. of the same mindset of of Catholic manhood, I would wanna know, and I would want you to know, I would want you to know that if your family ever ends up in my care, I'm, I'm the type of man that I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna make sure they have, have sacraments. I'm gonna do what I can to take care spiritually if, if they end up in my care for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I would fight for your family as well. Mm-hmm. And I would wanna know you do the same for mine. And if we have that mindset as Catholic men, If we treat each other as men and our families that way, imagine the the type of communities we could have in the society we'd have to know that when I'm on the road traveling and my family gets up against the wall for some reason, something turns sideways in their life. I've got men in this city that I know, the drop of a hat, they'll protect my family, they'll fight for them, they'll be there for them. That's the type of men we need to be. Mm -hmm. But I know some of these men that would fight for my family, they know how to fight. All right, And that makes me feel good, too, spiritually and physically. I know guys that would show up if I made, sent a text out. I'd have five guys show up out here armed. And I mean rosary in one hand and an AR-15 in the other. I mean, they would be ready to defend and protect. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of men I think we need to be. That's the type of manhood we used to have much more so in the history of our church.
0: Yeah. So if you think about the connection between the spiritual and the physical, because, you know, hearing that the mind, body, and soul piece, wh- yeah. how, why are they connected? Because some people may have a different opinion than I agree with you now, right? That I think we need to have a balance that all of them matter. Most, The most important of all of them, of course, is the spiritual health, sure. the spiritual uh, vigor, right? But why the why the physical piece? Because you're bringing them both in, in, in both hands. How are they connected, Doug? Is is it is it through uh, the very arts and discipline of that? The fact that you can, uh, 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 you know, through self-mortification. Is it through uh, living chastely, right? Being able to tell yourself no uh, and deny uh, perhaps a good for a higher good. Is is that what we're getting at? Uh, aside from obviously the, the basic uh, understanding of. Just learning how to protect yourself, learning how to protect your family, learning how to, to uh, put the things in your home and the things physically that will, will protect our family, uh, whether we're here or not here.
1: Yeah, well, the connection to me is is it, it's so simple and so obvious mm-hmm. that that's why I like to approach it this way, that I know when I walk in the house, if I've got a good roof over my head and I've got doors that close and, and lock in case there are, there's something evil that wants to get in. Mm-hmm. I've, got, uh, I've got walls that are insulated. I've got a furnace that's kicking on the heat. I mean, I mean, I live in Nebraska, you know, we gotta have heat out here. We get some pretty cold days, you know. I mean, all these basic, obvious things that we know make perfect sense, to me have a direct correlation to the spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Yet 24-7, 365, the spiritual life is, is this ongoing battle. The devil's always looking for an in, okay? And as I, one exorcist that I, that I know who said, look, the devil's not under every rock, but he's under every other rock. In other words, we have a constant battle with spiritual elements that are trying to destroy us, which is why when we pray the Hail Mary, we pray at the end of the Hail Mary, pray for us now and at the hour of our death, because between now and the hour of my death, whenever that is, this attack goes on. So to me, knowing that that is the nature of the spiritual world that we are all in, and that God has created us spiritual and physical, that the two are connected. In fact, it's not natural for us to die. A lot of people don't understand this, that Adam and Eve, by allowing sin in the world, that's where we get death. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be done away with. And in the final resurrection, we're reunited with our bodies, right? I'm going to get all my hair back, you know. <laughs> you know? We're going to have straight teeth, you know. We're not going to have any foot odor and all the other mess and disease and sickness that goes with with life, right? right? All that's gone, all right? Now, if we're on the downside of that, we're on the negative side, the side of hell. Then we're reunited with a pretty nasty representation of, or not representation, but a pretty nasty physical aspect of who we are. That's going to be a problem. But on the on the good side of things, if we're resurrected on the side of Christ, things are going to be sweet. They're going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. But because it's not natural for us to be apart from our bodies, that that's not God's original design, we're going to have that back. But in the time that we're in this, you can't deny, you can't separate the two out. Mm-hmm. One does affect the other to a large degree. In fact, I would hear this oftentimes when I would go to confession to a particular priest used to be here in Lincoln, where I live, he would say this uh, in confession, you confess your sins, and oftentimes he would say, how much water have you drank today? What kind of exercise are you getting? How much are you sleeping at night? In other words, he was making it clear, and then he would explain this. Your physical, acts, the part of which makes you physical, your physical attributes affect you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, Mm all right? If you've got good rest and you've got decent food, that affects your brain. You think better. You function better. Well, that affects your emotions. Well, that also affects your spiritual life. So, when the spiritual life, for the, or for the sake of the spiritual life, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. deny a good like food for a greater good, your soul. Mm-hmm. You're putting things in a proper order. Mm-hmm. The, the The order of things should be, you know, actually how a lot of people have it is the the, the feelings and emotions run the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you're if you're an emotional being you have feelings and emotions physical passions and emotions and you've got an intellect and you've got a spirit and a lot of people have it completely upside down okay where the spiritual life is subordinate or submissive to the physical life and the physical life is submissive to the the, the emotions right so whatever i feel is what i want to do my body follows that and the soul kind of takes last place it's got to be the other way around mm-hmm. soul's got to run the show okay so the body should be responding to what what lifts the soul closer to God, what honors God and gives God glory. Mm -hmm. So the physical spiritual comparisons to me are, are pretty clear. As I would treat my home, as I would treat my loved ones, as I would treat my own body, because I know that this makes things function better, spiritually I should do the same thing. I should have a good spiritual roof over my head. I should make sure that I'm eating good spiritual food. I should make sure that I'm exercising the spiritual aspect of who I am, which is a prayer life and a sacramental life and reading the lives of the saints. These things are all intertwined, and we see it also statistically proven. When it comes to divorce, for example, the percentage of divorce for people who practice birth control, don't go to church regularly, don't have a prayer life, don't pray with their spouse, the divorce rate's like 50, 60%. In some places, it's even higher. Mm -hmm people who don't practice birth control, which means that they're disciplining their bodies and their emotions, they're open to life, they're obeying God, they go to church regularly, and they have a prayer life, especially together, the divorce rate is less than 2%. I mean, it's incredible. So statistically alone, we can see that when the body and the soul are cooperating, things are much better. Mm -hmm. When they don't cooperate, when we don't make those good decisions, things can lead to absolute chaos.
0: Yeah. Now, let's move on to what you, now that was good for the men. And of course, I know that's applicable to the women as well. But I know that your ministry, so, yeah, your ministry obviously reaches beyond that. As you said, you know, you'll get 50, 60% of those coming to a battle ready uh, right. uh, event would be that of women. So let's, let's talk to the women out there that are watching. What, what do you have uh, as it relates to advice and counsel for them to be battle ready as women?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, ladies, very much the same in many respects, except the roles are a little different. Mm-hmm. You know, the man is the spiritual head of the home, the woman's the spiritual heart of the home. Mm-hmm. But it takes both the head and the heart for the body to move. Mm-hmm. All right, The complementary nature between man and woman is phenomenal, and the devil knows that. So for women to realize that your role to be the heart of the home, the heart of the domestic church, to bring a nurturing aspect to that church, which everybody needs, okay, is, is essential. And because the devil knows this, he'll try to undermine this. So ladies, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be spiritually prepared. But you also have to take care of the physical as well because you need to be a physical uh, vehicle, if you will, of the grace of God working through you in the way you fulfill your duty as, as a woman, whether it's religious or, or a wife or, or single, depending on, on what your vocation is, your state of life. Mm-hmm. But the point mm-hmm. is that physical preparation so that you can be healthy and strong to fulfill your vocation, you're thinking clearly, which means you know we should all, male, female alike, we should be eating decent, we should be exercising somewhat. It helps us physically, which affects our vocation. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. gonna serve my family better, my wife serves the family better if she's taking care of herself. That That's an obvious one. Spiritually speaking, ladies, I'll just say this. There's not a person on this planet, not even the Pope, nobody, that affects me more than my wife. Okay, my wife can look at me across the room, and she can give me a look, and that look, I mean, can say, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I it, do. It tells you. It tells you you're my champion, and you're saving the world, or it says, why did you do that? And I'm looking at my wife, thinking, what What did I do? <laughs> well, it can even be, in today's world with texting, it can just be an emoji she sends me, and that can tell me good or bad. But the point is, I've been, I've been blasted by a lot of people over the years. I've had people disagree with me, argue with me, debate with me, comments on social media, on videos, you name it. A lot of people, just they just have really laid into me over different things. Yeah, you know what, you take that, you pray about it, you respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. If my wife though, says one thing or looks at me one way, it makes me feel like I can take on the world or it makes me feel like I gotta really do some serious checking on my own heart. That's the power that a woman has over a man. For good or bad, there's nothing that affects a man more than a woman. I mean, think about one of the greatest Old Testament Scripture uh, characters is David, King David. I don't know anywhere else in Scripture where, and I, maybe there is, but I don't know of it, where an individual is given the title, a man who, with a heart after God's own heart. Okay, David was a man after God's own heart. That's, that's incredible. Okay, I've never heard that. I'm not Doug, a man after God's own heart. No, I don't get that. David got that. That's incredible. And yet David fell. And he fell for a couple of reasons. One, it starts out stating that we know about Bathsheba, but before that happened, David was not off fighting battle at the time that kings would be off fighting battles. Mm -hmm. He was kicking back. He took himself off the battlefield. He wasn't engaged in his duty. But then he sees Bathsheba. She's on a rooftop. She's bathing. So ladies, good rule of thumb. Don't be bathing out in public like that on a rooftop. (laughs) Bad idea. Okay, but from that point, he is attracted to her. The impact that a woman has on a man, even a man as great as David. So ladies, don't ever underestimate the impact or the power that you have over men in general, but especially the men in your life. And that's not just physical. I mean, we as men realize that's 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 a major part of the way God is designed it. We are physically affected by by what we see, but it's more than that. Mm -hmm. There's mystery behind it. It's very deep and very powerful. And ladies, I would say this. One of the reasons I think that you find that women become, and I'm just going to go to another subject here, um, in situations where you have war or you have uh, genocidal attacks like uh, Armenian Genocide in 1915, uh, the World War II, or, uh, Rwanda 1994, Bosnia, wherever you have these major attacks, uh, the crystal rays in the early 1920s or mid-1920s in, in Mexico, wherever you have this, women become a particular target for evil. They're raped, they're attacked, they're assaulted, they're horribly treated. Why? My own thought on that is because the devil knows You ladies represent the Blessed Mother in the particular way that she, a woman, crushes the head of the serpent. Mm -hmm. You ladies have that relation to Mary being a woman. Therefore, ladies, I would say to ladies out there, the devil's going to go after you in a particular way. Which is, again, is one of the reasons we men need to be ready to protect you in every way, spiritually and physically, because you become a, a very... A unique particular target in certain ways
0: mm-hmm.
1: but spiritually speaking ladies be spiritually ready for that battle because your influence your effect and the way the devil will go after you because of the way you can affect the men in your life and when men are affected negatively for example a man is destroyed spiritually he's destroyed emotionally he's destroyed his manhood or masculinity has been undercut because of a domineering woman a mother or a wife that can ruin men Okay, and I've seen this over and over in the men's groups that I've spoken to and men who've talked to me personally, be the biggest, toughest, strongest guy out there. He could be an MMA fighter, a weightlifter, but he can still be a very broken man inside if the women in his life have, I say, neutered him. And I, you know, it, it, it's a funny way to put it for some, but it's very, very serious mm-hmm. because she can tear him down and he can be so affected by how she speaks to him, how she treats him and doesn't build him up. Ladies, my wife holds my heart right here. She can crush it or she can lift me up and make me feel like I'm a warrior that can take on the world. Mm -hmm. So ladies, be spiritually prepared to lift the men up in in the lives that that God has placed in in front of you to care for. It's critical for all of society.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that you address in both uh, your counsel and advice to the men, but also to the women, is the importance that we play in each other's lives as fully man and as fully woman, that right. God and obviously in his wisdom and his uh, greatness, the way he designed us to complement one another in this battlefield, uh, uh, you know, really pulls alongside of us battle partners, right? Especially in our women. So I think that, you know, that's great to be able to encourage women because, you know, uh, I think it's Proverbs uh, 21, um, or 18, 21 or 1821 or 2118. I'll get it, get it reversed. But, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue right? And uh, yeah. in particular, when it comes to uh, women and how they either build us up or tear us down uh, in, in that way. Because and maybe in, in this culture of death today, um, you know, we've really got things so upside down and so backwards and so twisted. I think men and women don't realize the importance that we play in each other's lives. And so I think that's, you know, wise words there. Now, let's move to that one uh, that one element that, and we know one demographic that you spoke to as far as those leaving the church in particular our youth and our young people yes. out there because i know that's how you you and your wife started out when you when you first started out radix that's who you're primarily ministering to and the world we live in today we know the future of the church uh, are are reigniting and reintroducing um, the, the 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 faith of which many are leaving um, to these young people so how do we approach this problem that we're seeing with our youth leaving you know we know. You know, 50% of people that, that are, are born Catholic leave, and, and 79% of them that do leave do between the ages of 18 and 23. And they're a difficult group to get our finger on, uh, as far as because they're the ones who are, are being hit with the all you got to be is a good person everybody goes to heaven there really isn't a hell sin doesn't exist uh um, moral relativism is moral relativism is rampant what do we do to better reach our youth given what you've experienced in your many years of of, of doing
1: uh, battle yeah i tell you you know it, it is a very difficult area in fact I, I just saw a report yesterday that um in evaluating european you know countries and nations over there that the percentage of young people, and I forget which one of them it was um, uh, I didn't even want to say for sure, um, you know they, they looked at like 15 over there in Europe, different different uh, nations and they they found one of them 95 percent of young people, young adults, do not identify with any religion whatsoever. 95 wow. percent. I think the UK, I mean England, it was around 70 roughly seventy percent do not claim any religious affiliation. I mean, the numbers are horrific. Mm -hmm. Uh, In America, it's not a lot better. It's a little better still here, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. Roughly only 20% of Catholics go to mass in the United States faithfully, Mm -hmm. all right? Um, You know, back in 1950s, that was roughly 80%. Okay, so we have flipped it upside down completely. What has happened to our young people that when they've gotten older, they've abandoned this? You know, it's my generation, your generation roughly, you know, We've seen this happening unfolding. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I saw, you know, even from one of the best dioceses in the United States here in Lincoln, in, with regards to teaching and and, and um, you know a percentage of, of uh, you know priests being ordained every year and such. We've been considered one of one of the best, mm-hmm. and still I saw teaching slip here and there. What I experienced growing up, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse for many reasons. So. I mean, the big part of the problem is we got to get to the adults. The adults have to be addressing the kids. And and I don't, I look at youth groups. I look at youth rallies, things like that, in some ways as damage control. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because and I've spoken at at hundreds of them over the years. All right. And I've done so many talks in classrooms, youth rallies, um, CCD programs, uh, you name it, youth groups and so forth. And constantly, you know, I'm being asked to speak on this or this or this because they know they're not getting it here, 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 or they're battling this. And as the years have gone by, the the challenges have gotten worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, now we're talking about things like transgender and homosexual relations and so forth. I mean, it's gotten much, much more difficult. So number one, we got to get to the adults. Okay, we adults have got to really be shoring things up. So when, you know, I'll hit this first. So so when adults come to me and say, how do I get my kid to love the faith or love God or want to go to heaven? My reaction is always this. You got to love God. You got to want to get to heaven. You got to, it's got to come out of you. Like, like scratch me and I bleed, right? Scratch me and my Catholic faith comes out. My desire to get to heaven comes out. The most important thing, salvation of souls must come out, mm-hmm. which means I've got to die to self. ESPN can't be the number one thing for me as a man. Sit down, turn on my TV and watch watch sports and news. I've got to make sure that my family sees me throwing myself into taking care of my soul and the souls of my loved ones. So we parents, first and foremost, I've got to be in love with God, and that doesn't just happen, and it's not a pill you take that just all of a sudden transforms. It's grace of God working through us, but we have to cooperate, and we cooperate by by showing God that, that we're open to it, okay. right? We're going to the sacraments, we're praying, we're reading, but we're also paying attention to what's going on in our world, and we're cutting the things out that are interfering with the relationship with God. Yeah. So that being said, what do I say to young people? If I'm talking to young people directly, I like to hit them straight between the eyes with what are you looking for? What do you want? Because the one thing that you want that's no different than anybody else 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 500 years ago, everybody's looking for some sort of peace, some sort of inside the head and the heart, some sort of, I don't even want to say joy, some sort of happiness, though. Okay, joy is a funny thing. What is joy? Is joy this yay or is joy this you know, how do you have joy when you're going through martyrdom? Uh, it's a whole different level, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you're talking to young people, what are they looking for? They want to be happy. Uh, that's why we play video games, right? That's why we party with our friends, right? That's why we, we, we do the things that we want to do because we think it's going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. And temporarily, so, we might feel happiness or enjoy some sort of happiness. I say, okay, you go to a movie. You're in the theater for two hours, give or take. What are you thinking? Oh, I'm in a world. I'm I'm kind of locked in, I'm happy. Okay, you're at a baseball game or a football game or a dance with your friends or a concert. For those few hours, you feel some sort of stimulation that you, you determine as or define as happiness or, or peace or joy or something positive, positive. and they'll agree with that. Okay, I tell them, okay, tell me this. How many of those things go on? Well, none of them. Do they all end? Yeah, they all end. Everything ends, all that ends. And when the last note is played of that song at the concert, the fun of that concert's over, okay, so to speak. It's over with. So what do you look for next? You look for the next concert or the next game or the next party or the next, you know, thrilling adventure, the next ridiculous, stupid sort of challenge that they give you, like these stupid Tide Pods or whatever it is. Right, right. Because you're looking for some thrill, some adrenaline rush, some we define as happiness, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is, I like to tell them, all of that ends, and then I say, you tell me when you look at adults out there who've lived this world of one thrill after another, one relationship after another. Okay? Date breakup, date breakup, marry divorce, cheat on your spouse, marry divorce, uh, you're getting drunk here, you're doing drugs here, whatever it is, tell me where that ends up. And we give list you can give a list of names of of the chaos and the train wrecks. And then you ask in point blank, your friends that have been living this thrill after thrill type of life, are they happy, really happy? Why is the suicide rate among adolescents and teens higher than it's ever been? Why is the addiction rate higher than it's ever been? Okay, if all the dating breakup or the promiscuous premarital sex sort of stuff, if all that works and makes everybody so happy, why is it leading people to so much misery? And then look at these young people point blank and and, and ask them, tell me that you don't know people who are living miserable, but they're doing all these things. I've done this in high schools. I've done it in conferences. I've done it for 50 kids, and I've done it for 500 kids, thousand kids, and you can hear a pin drop. You know, recently in Kentucky, spoke at a Catholic high school, 500, roughly 500 students, and I went through all this with them, and I told them about my own situation. My father was an alcoholic. No. My father's dead. I said, you know when he started to drink? In fact, my father died 26 years ago. My children, my oldest, my daughter, who's 25 and married, she's never seen her grandfather, okay? Why? Because my father made choices, and I tell them all, when he was your age, when he was 16, 17, 18, and I asked him years ago, before he passed away, you know, about six months before he passed away, I said, Dad, when did you start drinking? And he said, I was hanging out with my buddies in a small town, after a baseball game or a football game, we'd go out on a dirt road, we'd open up a case of beer, we'd drink. And that's how it that got started. And because God wasn't in his life, and the beer and the friends were, that's the direction it went. And so again, say to the young people, and I, I painted this picture to everybody in Kentucky, and I, you can heard a pin drop. I said, because some of you in this gym right now, you're already doing the exact same things that my father did that resulted in him becoming an addict and dying from it. I said, you're setting yourself up for destroying people's lives. Wives, husbands, children, friends, fellow employees, parents are gonna be crushed because of decisions that you're starting to make now. You might think you're clever because they're not seeing it. You might think you're bold because you'll challenge them to their face over this. But I'm telling you, you're setting up for a lot of pain and hurt for you and for others. And that's just on a natural level. Yeah. Take it to the spiritual level. And then we talk about the reality of what is actually sinful. What about God's mercy and love? And a lot of them, they don't know God's mercy and love. They don't even understand what that means because they haven't been raised with it in today's society, like, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago when it was more common. So it's become more difficult to convey that. So I like to try to hit them on the natural level first. And once you get their attention, Then we start talking about everlasting peace and an everlasting happiness and how living for purpose, the decisions that you make to commit for someone, my wife, my children, other people that God puts in my path, that there's an interior joy that even when I'm unhappy or sad or struggling, I can put my head on the pillow at night knowing that I've tried to live that day in a way that not only helps me for the day, but invests in my future in this world and in the next and affects the people around me. And I can tell you this, teenagers, young people, they can smell insincerity a mile away. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You got to just be straight with them. So I tell them, look, I'm 53. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm not going to come off like I'm some cool, hip teenager because I'm not. To you, I'm an old guy. To some of you, I'm half dead. And they all laugh (laughs) at that. Okay, so be it. I can still do more push-ups than most of you guys in this <laughs> gym, though. Okay? You know, which is embarrassing because I've been a push-up challenge with them, and I beat them almost every time. It's you know? <laughs> one of the reasons I keep working out. But yeah. the point is that you you hit them just you tell them the truth.
0: Yeah.
1: But you, you hit them between the eyes with the truth. But you know what I don't do, John, is I don't start talking in language that that is so kind of streetwise, meaning I don't talk about sexual things. Mm-hmm. I don't talk in language, in, in dialogue that can become scandalous or that is immodest. Mm-hmm. You can get the point across on these things to young people without using terminology and words that, that can scandalize them. Mm-hmm. We need to raise the bar and elevate it. We don't wanna just stay in the, in the gutters. We gotta get out of the gutters. Mm-hmm. And so we gotta reach down, but we gotta use language that lifts and builds
0: yeah you know that's uh that's those are great points uh in particular when it comes to just being a witness first um yeah uh, you know you started off that 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 this portion of, of the segment talking about just you know being that living witness the other the other thing that i share because i also am a speaker and i travel and 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 in particular i spend a lot of time with the youth and one of the things that i find um Interesting, but also discouraging at time is there. When I ask a question, do you believe in true love? Do you believe that true love still exists? And when you get the junior high students or the elementary school age kids, the ninety-five percent of them are raising their hands, right? And the other five percent are, you know, lost in the stars somewhere, picking their nose or doing something, right? But (laughs) but when you get to the high school age, freshmen to seniors, you know, you'll be lucky if you get ten percent of them to raise their hand in today's Culture. Uh,
1: They're pretty burned by now. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're burned by it. They don't see it lived out because they're coming from broken homes. Um, They see this. uh, They're seeing lust portrayed as love. They're seeing love as an emotion, not as a decision, not as a a decision to sacrifice. And and I think you know what our kids are starving for, right? What they're starving for, even if if they're not saying it outright, they don't even know, right? Because they've been fed junk food majority of their life. They're being fed this counterfeit. Uh, idea of love, of faith, of all this stuff that they're getting out there. They're starving for truth. Yeah, they're starving for somebody that actually lives what they say they believe and stands firm in it. Because they're caught going with the with the flow, going with the tide, and we, brother, are sitting there swimming against it, swimming against the current, as we should. We're set apart, right? And we know we're consecrated for for God and and to be set apart and to be called to holiness, but they're living in a world that's so contrary to that. It's, it's, it's counter church, right? And I think that's one of the things with our youth is, for us, I mean, for them to see, regardless of our age, difference with them, and I appreciate, because I take the same approach, I'm not trying to be hip and cool like them. They don't need another them.
1: They don't, no. Yeah. What they need is a
0: leader, you know. Yeah, they
1: need, a, they need a mentor, they need somebody who's, who's. you know, it's like it's like a drill sergeant. I always say, you know, you got young recruits coming in the military, you know, you don't want young recruits learning how to fight a war from guys that are their peers. Right. You want you want to know that old that old rugged guy who's been in 18 battles and he's got battle scars and he can look at these guys and say, "I can teach you how to stay alive. I can teach you to survive a fight." All right? And you're right. They don't need more of them. They need those of us who have been through some part of the battle and can point out to them, "Look, you want your marriage to last?" I mean, I got 28 years of marriage this month. You want a 28-year marriage? You want a 30, you want a 58-year marriage? You want to make it that long and have that kind of devo- devotion and dedication to your loved one? Look, I'll give you some ideas that I know work because of what I've been through. Yeah. And I know what doesn't work because of what I've been through. And so you're right. They don't need more of them. They, they That kind of approach, I think, is is uh, is can be very destructive and very her- harmful to them.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, what you said about they can smell... Uh somebody who's being who's disingenuous or insincere right they can smell it from a while, mile away so if we're just sitting there trying to be cool and hip and relatable really we've actually done the opposite we, we've shown them that we're totally irrelevant that we're just yes. we're just over here yeah you know versus meeting them where they are but pulling them to to something higher and right. you know for somebody who to speak the truth with fervor and zeal and you know true love as as, as we know in our catholic faith or you know saint thomas aquinas would say right is willing the good of the other as other and then doing something about it right, right. not not just saying oh well, i love you with these words but really saying no i'm willing to sacrifice i'm willing to stand before you get vulnerable and and tell you that hey the way you're living your life isn't good for you it isn't going to lead you to eternal happiness to an abiding joy to uh, an abiding piece. So you know yeah. these. I think this is. It's really great that the work you're doing. So Doug, how do people find more about you? About uh, battle ready strong. How do they get a hold of you on social media? W- what's your handles?
1: Uh, where can our viewers find find you? Yeah, um, it's pretty simple. I got a YouTube channel. It's under Doug Barry. I have a Facebook page. Under Doug Berry. <laughs> I have another Facebook page under Battle Ready. We, we pretty much post the same thing on both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our website is battlereadystrong.com. So, battlereadystrong.com is website. Mm-hmm. Doug Barry YouTube, Doug Berry Facebook, uh, radix Instagram. But you can find that out if you go to some of these other places. All of our videos, we always uh, add the tags, you know, how to do Instagram and so forth, you know, how to follow us here and there. But I would say if people want to check us out, battlereadystrong.com, or just go to my YouTube channel, Doug Barry. Um, you know that you know, information is on there. To or follow the Facebook page, Doug Barry. Okay. Um, that's with a B A R R Y. So that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, you know, to whether it's setting up a booking for a conference or a school or a church, battle ready rally, or just to check out the videos. I try to put videos up. Eh, I struggle with depending on my schedule. If I'm on the road, it's hard. When I'm when I'm off the road, I try to get one or two up a week. Uh, you know, and I hit a variety of subjects. You know, I just put one up yesterday on um, on what's going on with uh, some of the stuff in the the, the uh, attack on the Second Amendment. You know, people don't see that in a spiritual way. They don't realize. You know, we don't look at the history of what happens to people and the harm that's done to people um, and the lives that are crushed and ruined when we don't have natural rights. You know, to 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 support us, and we get those rights taken away and we've got threats out there against the Second Amendment, against the the right to protect ourselves, and that's even in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So we do stuff that tries to tie that together. You know, you've got a couple of key paragraphs, 2264 and 65 in the Catechism, that speak about not only the right to defend and protect in self-defense situations, but even the grave duty, it states in 2265, especially to care for those that have been entrusted to our care, Uh, Even if it means taking up arms against another individual, not because you're trying to inflict harm, but as a last resort. And even St. John Paul II talks about this. He writes about it in the Gospel of Life, his book. So, you know, we've, we've addressed those types of things. And it's funny how people separate these things to where we think we have the physical world that we live in, and the political world, and then we have the religious world, and we want this separation of church and state. And it's like, well, no, we shouldn't. There needs to be Okay, a connection here, because if we don't have the the presence of God and the grace of God operating in our lives and in our souls, especially our politicians Mm -hmm. and our, our law enforcement, and our military, then what kind of trouble are we getting ourselves in? This is a crazy idea that we need to separate this out and keep your religious beliefs over here. And and your in your secular worldly thinking. No, we need to we need to understand God's got to be brought into the marketplace. He's got to be brought into the political world. He's got to be brought into these different areas or we're shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to to the future of our society. So we like to address those things as well, which, you know, you get the hate mail on that kind of stuff sometimes. But you know what? I go back to Mexico. What happened to the crystal rays down there? Yeah. When the government tried to destroy Catholicism. Look at the Armenian genocide when the Turks tried to eliminate our Catholic Armenian brothers and sisters to the tune of 1.5 million, roughly, who were slaughtered. All right, it is not to be taken lightly. Those were both religious persecutions. All right, and it, and it goes on and on. So this is this is I, I'm very serious about us being spiritually 24/7, 365 prepared, but also physically taking a good look at the signs of our times. And I'm also one last thing I got to mention, John, in particular is the warnings of the Blessed Mother. Mm -hmm. I'm adamant about this. I talk a lot about this. I got a couple of videos about this. She's warned us five major times that I've talked about in a couple of DVDs and videos. In the last 100 years, she's come to the world. These are church approved apparitions, by the way. Mm -hmm. And she's come to the world at least five major times to tell us how serious the times are if we don't pray, fast, repent, and make acts of reparation for sin. It's a very, very serious time. God would not be sending his mother to the world repeatedly to remind us of how serious it was if it wasn't an urgent, urgent time. And as a priest friend of mine said, this is not even the Blessed Mother's own sense of urgency. This is God's sense of urgency, or he wouldn't be sending his mother to the world over and over to tell us, we need you to respond because we're turning our backs on God's grace. So it's a very serious time for us, and we need to be joining forces fighting this battle. We need to be reaching out to as many as possible and listening, really, to the modern prophets that God has given us. Like, I think, Mother Angelica, Mm -hmm. Mother Mm -hmm. Teresa, St. Mother Teresa, St. John Paul II. Mm -hmm. I think Pope Benedict has said things that are are prophetic. Uh, You know, Humana Vitae, written by Paul VI, Mm -hmm. reminding Mm -hmm. us what would happen if we let contraception become prevalent. All these voices. Fulton Sheen, I love Venerable Fulton Sheen. Mm -hmm. Another prophetic voice for our time. He saw what was coming. And he spoke about it very seriously. So we have a lot to pay attention to. We have a lot of work to do, a lot of fighting to do.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I just want to encourage all the viewers out there to to visit uh, Doug Barry on BattleReadyStrong.com. Uh, for the work that you're doing out there, Doug, I think, you know, uh, when you go back to that, you know, the, the stuff that you're talking about that, that does um, – uh, incite out there some of this hate mail and and this vile that's being spewed at you uh you know we should find comfort in john 15 right that if, if the world hated you it hated me first right. <laughs> if the world person yeah and i you know i ask people all the time ask yourself who loves you and why and ask yourself who hates you and why and if the majority of it is the world loving you and not hating you then you're really <laughs> not living a christ-like life so you know okay. so yeah so i want to just thank you for your time here i want to encourage all the viewers out there to to please uh take a look at, at what doug has to offer with his apostolate he's doing great work out there and until we uh you know bring you back here on true faith real talk with another segment get holy or die trying thanks doug god bless my brother
1: thank you john god bless you